Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tanakh Talks podcast. My name is Yaakov Beasley. It's Friday morning, January 17th, midway through Tevet on Parshat Shmot. And today we're going to be talking about a story. If you saw the title, you know this is one of the most fantastic and incredible and incredulous stories that the Tanakh has. God tries to kill Moshe right after he sends him to go take the Jews out of Egypt. The Midrash says that as they rested as an inn, God sends a snake, eats Moshe from the top, his head down, then releases him, eats Moshe from his head up. Somehow Tzipporah, who's there, his wife, knows what to do. She takes a sharp rock, says, I know how to save my husband from a snake. I'll cut off my son's foreskin, i.e. giving him a brit milah, a circumcision. At which point the snake releases him and she repeats him, you're a bridegroom of blood, which is a fascinating statement. The question is, what is going on? So I just read the first smallest part of the story. The and he was on his way to an in, he was on his way. He was in the Hashem met him, wanted to put him to death. This is verses twenty-four to twenty-six in chapter four. And there's so many questions here. Obviously, the main question is why is God trying to kill Moshe right after sending him? But that's a question we're going to deal with as we go through the story in its more larger context and even larger context. But let's now go back to our immediate story. Okay, God tries to kill him, and Sipporah somehow knows it has something to do with Brit Milah. The obvious question, of course, is, well, one of the questions everybody asks, which son is it? Rashi reads it that it is Moshe's younger son. I'll read Rashi quickly. And he tried to kill him, God tried to kill Moshe, because he did not give a circumcision to Eliezer, his son. And therefore, since he was negligent or lazy in performing this mitzvah, God tried to kill him. And Rashi then quotes the Gemara that God forbid that he was in fact lazy. Moshe would be lazy from doing the mitzvah of circumcision, but rather something interesting happened. God, he made a decision here. Um, he quotes, the, the Gemara says in the Darim, Rabbi said, Rabbi Hudanasi said, God forbid Moshe would have neglected circumcision. He would not have done this at all. Rather, he said, if I circumcise my son, I'm going to slowed down my mission to save the Jewish people. Therefore, I choose, he made a choice, I'm going to go quickly to go get B'nai Yisrael um, out of Egypt, and therefore I pushed off the mitzvah, he pushed off the mitzvah of circumcising his son. But, why then was Moshe punished? Because he, as it were, took a rest. He was running, he took a rest in the inn, and as he was resting, and since he was not going to Egypt, and he was not circumcising his son, therefore he was punished. A fascinating discussion in and of itself. Now, what's interesting, well, many of them far seem suggest that, in fact, that's what happened, that Moshe um, had not given Eliezer a circumcision. There are Mepharshim that come and say, no, this is, um, it's actually the oldest son who never got a circumcision. And they base their belief on what appears to be a very strange Midrash. The Midrash says in the Mechilta in um, chapter 1, when Moshe said to Yitro, please give me your daughter, I'd like to marry her. And Yitro said, I want you to make one promise to me. What is that promise? I'm going to give you her as a wife, but the first son that you have, I have to raise. He has to be raised for Avodah The rest of the children you can raise any way you want. Moshe accepted this. They swore. And therefore, Moshe was um, almost killed for making this deal when they were coming back to Egypt. 
Of course, that midrash leads to all sorts of questions. For example, well, if Moshe made that deal and God wasn't happy with him, why did he allow him to um, raise Gershon in this way? And only at the end does God decide, I'm going to punish him. So let's go and look at the story a bit in its larger context. This is chapter 4. Chapter 4 begins with the continuation of the discussion in chapter 3, where Moshe is throwing out explanation, explanation to God why he can't go save the Jewish people again and again and again. They will not believe me. They will not heed my voice. And God says, what's in your hand? A staff. He says, cast it to the ground. It becomes a snake. And then he shows him another sign. And after having been given these two signs, which, by the way, Moshe never has to tell the Jewish people, they actually believe him at the beginning. Moshe says, listen, I'm not a great speaker. Can you make... Um, can you send somebody who's a better speaker? I'm not a man of words. I'm heavy of tongue, heavy of mouth. It's interesting and ironically that later on when it describes motion chapter 6, it will also call him heavy of tongue, heavy of mouth to say that he stutters, but it calls him not kaved, pev kaved lashem, but rather arel sfatayim. He's uncircumcised, an allusion to this story here. And God said to him, mi sam pel adam, who gives man a mouth? Who decides who can speak or not? I'll tell you what to say and you speak. So one would think that would be enough. Moshe makes one final attempt, and he says, God, please just send whoever you want to send. At which point in time, and God gets angry with Moshe. He says, look, Aaron will speak for you. He's coming to greet you, and when he sees you, he's going to rejoice in his heart. There's a general rule in Tanakh. Whenever God gets angry, there is a consequence. And Rashi says that the consequence happens immediately. What is the immediate consequence of Moshe continually trying to put off his mission, refusing to do what God commands? He does not want to be the person to confront Paro. That God, according to Rashi at least, according to Rashi, God says, fine, Aaron will take your place. And Aaron, in fact, will do so. That Moshe's greatness is somehow lessened. He could have been the Kohen Gadol and the leader, now he's only going to be the political leader and Aaron will receive the priesthood. The Rashbam, however, says no. Aaron was coming to meet him anyways. Rather, there's a different interpretation. When does God get angry? He says, whenever you make the wrong turn on your way, then God takes advantage of that to punish you for what you've done. As it were, God waited until Moshe was on the way in a very dangerous situation, going down to Egypt, when he stops at the hotel, that's when God chooses to punish him, and that's what led, leads to God's anger. The story continues, however, and I think we have to look at two more details to see this. First, let's look at the continuation of the story. Moshe goes back and he returns to Yeter, his father-in-law, and he says to him, let me go see to my brothers, and let me see if they're still alive. And Yeter says to him, Lech l'shalom, go in peace. That's verse 18. What should verse 19 be? He's gotten permission from God to go. He's gotten permission from his family to go. It should say in verse 19, now in chapter 4, and Moshe went. Rather, in verse 19 it says, and God said to Moshe in Midian, go return to Egypt, because anybody who's trying to kill you is dead. So finally, when God has to come and tell him again go to Egypt, we get this sense that Moshe is hesitating again and again and again. And Moshe takes his wife and his sons, he puts them on the donkey, and they goes back to the land of Egypt. He's got the staff of God. And God says to him, when you go to Egypt, do all these signs before Paro. Already alluding to him, he won't need to do these signs for B'nai Israel. And then there's an interesting two verses 
in which God gives instruction to Moshe what to say to Paro. Verse 22, And you shall say to Paro, So said the Lord, my firstborn son in Israel. And I say to you, Send out my son to he worship me. If you refuse to send him out, I'm going to slay your firstborn son. So verse 22 is clearly the Paro. So says Hashem, my firstborn son is Israel. Verse 23, I would think it's a continuation statement. Send out my son, or I will slay your firstborn son. Send out B'nai Israel, or I will say, slay your son, i.e. the firstborn of Egypt. But it can also be read that God is telling Moshe, my firstborn son is B'nai Israel, he belongs to me. And you have to do the same with your own firstborn son on a personal level. If you, in fact, it would make perfect sense now to understand why the Midrash would read that it is Gershom, the oldest son, who has to get a Brit Milah and not Eliezer. To explain this, I want to look at the story from an even bigger, wider perspective. Moshe has two mothers. It's an interesting article by Rabbi Samet that we see in the beginning of chapter 2 he's given, he's born to Yocheved, but it's Bat Paro who raises him. In fact, Bat Paro gets the right to name him. And he's called by the name, not that Yocheved gave him, which is actually Tuvia, but rather he's called Moshe, which either because it means a drum of the water, or it means son, like Ramasas, Ra Moses, means son of Ra. But at some point in time in chapter 2, Moshe goes out to see his brothers and their suffering, implying that he identifies at this point in time with part of the Jewish people. And that's great and wonderful. And in fact, he's willing to go kill an Egyptian who is beating a Hebrew. He endangers himself on behalf of his brothers. The next day, however, he sees how the Jews behave. He sees two Jews fighting each other. And when he tries to break up the fight, they turn to him and they say, Who made you a lord over us? You. And, they, and Rashi says something very fascinating. The matter is known. It's not just known that I killed the Egyptian, but it says, Rashi, now I understand why the Jews are being punished, because what sort of people is this? You do them a kind act, you do them a favor, as it were, you stand up for them, and they reject you. And Moses goes into the desert, and there's a third story. If there's been two stories already between Jew and non-Jew, and Jew and Jew, now he sees two non-Jews fighting, two groups of non-Jews, shepherds versus Yitro's daughters, and what happens? He goes and he saves them. He's, we see Moshe is a man of justice. Moshe really cares about the weaker, the unfortunate, the ones who are downtrodden on. doesn't matter whether Jewish or not. And we're going to see that this is how God will eventually convince him at the beginning to go save the Jewish people. But what's most important for us is when Moshe goes back to, or not Moshe, but when the daughters go back to Yitro's house, they tell their father, why were they back so quickly? Normally they had to wait in line and only after everybody left. And they say there was an Egyptian man who saved us. And the Gemara, sorry, Shemot Rabbi asked, was Moshe Egyptian? Rather, his clothing was Egyptian. Well, he was a Hebrew. The Midrash then says, well, you can read it a little differently, that Moshe killed an Egyptian. That's what caused him to be here. But it's interesting that there's this trend in rabbinic thought to say, Moshe is identified here as an Egyptian, and he does not protest, he does not correct them. Whereas Yosef, when he's brought before Paro, identifies himself as a Jew. I'm a Jew, and I was stolen from the land of the Jewish people, Israel, and for that reason he deserves to be buried in the land of Israel. 
Moshe never corrects the daughters, and therefore he doesn't deserve, he isn't worthy of being buried in the land of Israel. He's buried outside. What a deep and powerful statement on one's sense of identity. So let's ask a simple question. When does Moshe identify as Jewish? Well, let's look at the end of chapter 2 for a second. Paro dies. That's nothing new. Paros come and go all the time. That's the nature nature of leadership. That's the nature of humanity. But then it says, at that point in time, the Jewish people call out. And it states in the last two verses of chapter 2, God heard their cry. God remembered his covenant with the fathers. Next verse, And God saw the children of Israel. And God knew. Now let's go to chapter 3, where God is speaking to Moshe. And after the encounter, the initial encounter at the burning bush, and in having introduced himself, I'm the God of your father, Avav, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and Moshe hides his face, God says again, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cries. I know the pain and suffering they're going through. Therefore, I'm going to save them. What's missing at this point in time? That God remembered the covenant. God isn't appealing to Moshe's sense of covenant, his sense of peoplehood, his sense of loyalty to Am Yisrael. He's simply appealing to what? The fact that God's, that Moshe is moved not by his Jewishness, but by his sense of justice. Therefore, God speaks to him in those terms. So let's go back to our question again. When do Yitro and Zipporah find out that Moshe is Jewish? And I think the answer now becomes very simple. Yitro may never find out until after the leaving of Egypt. Or, more exactly, when Zipporah comes back. Because Moshe never tells them that he's going back to see his brothers who happen to be Jewish. Moshe's telling them, I'm going back to Egypt to see my brothers. And one can imagine that they assume, oh great, this is a man of Egyptian royalty, a man of nobility. Now, the charges against him dropped. We understand he wants to go back to see his brothers, his Egyptian brothers. Only on the way down does Moshe now force to confront the fact that he is Jewish. And therefore, Sipor reacts the way she is. You're a chatan damim. You didn't tell me that you were Jewish. And therefore, she does the brit milah. Almost, one can imagine her doing it in disgust, almost. If you're Jewish, and this is why you're going down, then do at least give your son the breed. Do what needs to be done. And therefore, Moshe is now confronted. He, there's no turning back now. At this point in time, this becomes not a question of what Moshe wants to do, but Moshe has to confront his very nature, his very identity. And I think that's the explanation of what's happening here. Until this point in time, Moshe hasn't told his family that he's Jewish. He's a man of justice, they admire him. But now he has to confront not only the fact that there's injustice going on, but who he is as a person. And this is why it is imperative that God meets him before he goes back to Egypt. Moshe, to who are you? And the way you demonstrate your Jewishness is by demonstrating, I'm willing to raise my children as such. With those thoughts in mind, I want to wish everybody a Shabbat Shalom. Have a great and wonderful Shabbat. And we'll be back again next week with God's help.